Blog Talk Radio. championship games this past weekend, and we'll sneak peek a little bit at Super Bowl 51, but without further ado, uh, Ryan, <laughs> I take it that you're done celebrating now, it's, it's been 48 hours, isn't that the rule there, after you guys win an, an AFC Conference Championship game, you only celebrate for 48 hours and you're all set? Oh, h- hell no, uh, I, I, I celebrated <laughs> for all of two hours, and I've already started to... Uh, wrench my stomach into knots over every possible thing that could go wrong in the Super Bowl. So, I've uh, <laughs> moved far, far beyond that. Unfortunately, you know, our our expectation, um, it's not that our expectation here is a Super Bowl victory. It's just that nothing else is worth it to us. So, uh, it's pretty much always yeah. championship or bust. So, until until they actually raise the Lombardi, um, you know, I'm, I'm, never, I'm never relaxed. Yeah, well, I, I can tell you, I can respect. There's a lot of things that I respect about the Patriots right now. I'm not going to get into it, though, because I think your head's already too big. We'll wait for us to get to that segment, and then we'll talk about it. So let's, let's go get it rolling here. So the uh, first game that we're going to be covering today is the NFC Championship game between the Green Bay Packers and the Atlanta Falcons. Falcons ended up winning rather handily, 44-21. Over-under in the game was 61. It hit the over at 65. No thanks to the Green Bay Packers. And the Atlanta Falcons were favored by four and a half, and they covered that spread. Now, the Packers had an eight-game win streak come to a crashing halt this past Sunday. After putting up 30-plus points of offense per game in the first two rounds of the playoffs, the Packers didn't even manage to score on the Falcons until the third quarter, 35 minutes, 41 seconds into the game. I got a lot more to say breaking this down, but let me get your thoughts first, Ryan. Uh, What are your thoughts initially about the Green Bay Packers and Atlanta Falcons and how they performed in the NFC Championship game? Yeah, as I um, tweeted out to you uh, on Sunday, I would like uh, every podcast stricken from uh, the airwaves where I've called <laughs> Matt Ryan a choker. Um, yeah, no, I feature those. I'm going to collect that into one place and feature that as a podcast, by the way. Yeah, great <laughs> <on> Matt Ryan. <laughs> yeah, he's, uh, you know, he's, starting to, he's starting to prove me wrong here. I'm, I'm hoping he's saving I'm hoping he's saving the choke. Um, you know, against my Patriots uh, in two weeks here. But, uh, uh, you know, obviously he played unbelievable in this game. Um, Julio Jones played unbelievable in this game. Um, you know, the weapons were on full display. The, def- the You know, the defense was aggressive. Um, they were flying all over the field. And, you know, they really hit the Packers in the mouth. I think what it came down to was you did see it eventually at the end um, that Aaron Rodgers just didn't have enough of a supporting cast around him. He didn't have, um, you know, he needed some, uh, you know, facil- uh, facsimile of a running game, um, which they weren't right. able to produce. That that defense is is awful in Green Bay, um, and they <laughs> they were no match for the for the amount of weapons the Falcons had. Um, you know, I will say, and I, you know, I kind of had this take last year. Um, it looked like he was going to prove me wrong, and I know he had an unbelievable stretch. So maybe it seems feels like a weird time to say it. Um, but he is only 10-7 and seven in the postseason, uh, Aaron Rodgers, over his career. And for, right. for a guy who's allotted a lot of times, um, 
as the as you know the physically most gifted you know quarterback in the NFL, or the people that will argue that he's better than than, than Brady. Um, you know, it, it's one thing to only to you know to only win one, but to only go once in ten years. You know, um, Manning had this knock about him, and he was you know one and two at at, at the time. You know, and he'd taken his right. team to three Super Bowls, um, and he didn't always have an All Star cast. So. Um, you know, the, the years where he made Austin Colley and Pierre Garçon, you know, uh, home, re- home recognizer, home, you know, uh, you know, homemade names. And, yeah, yeah um, exactly. So you, I, I, at some point, Aaron Rodgers needs to have that moment. Um, and I thought this year was going to be that moment for him. And that doesn't mean he had to win the championship, but he really did need to win this game, I think, to carry them. Because otherwise, you know, his legacy is eventually going to be, and they're all these, you know, the excuse makers and the apologists out there says, that Mike McCarthy's not a great coach, which I agree, um, that he doesn't have, you know, a ton of – he usually doesn't have a great defense, and I'll agree with that too. Um, but at some point, you know, he, he just went on that historical right. run. Um, he just needed to get one more game in there to really cement his legacy as one of the all, all-time greats, in my opinion. Um, so he's still yeah, short so on, me, that, on that measure. I agree with that. I agree Well, actually everything you said. Let me just say this about, about Rodgers. So Rodgers, and as we said last week – had a passer rating in his eight-game win streak of 117.9, which is actually, you know, it's really good. That's really, really good. He ended up with a passer rating of just 91.6 in the NFC Conference Championship game, and that was with a little bit of garbage time at the end, uh, so to speak. And as you mentioned, he didn't play with a full complement of weapons. At the end of the game, it was clearly, it was very obvious that he needed a Jordy Nelson or a Devontae Adams type person to step up and Jared Cook wasn't going to be enough to do it. And, and you know, Jordy Nelson did gut it out with two broken ribs. I respect him for that. He played with a Kevlar vest. That is, that is one tough dude. Uh, Devontae Adams was out there, caught a touchdown, drawn my and only had really one catch. But all those guys were injured, so it really wasn't completely on him. And honestly, if you look at the beginning of the game, they had two potential scoring drives to start the game back-to-back. And they were foiled by a missed field goal by divisional playoff hero Mason Crosby at 41 yards and a red zone fumble by third string running back Aaron Ripkowski, who, as you mentioned, was kind of he was kind of pressed into business because they had no running game and Ty Montgomery had an injury early in the game. So, you know, he could have been a very different game had they converted both of those to touchdowns. Now, let me just flip to the other thing you mentioned there, defense. Yeah, that defense really let them down. I mean, the... The Atlanta Falcons, they put up 24 points before the half. Um, the, the defense only forced one punt prior to the end of the game where they had just a clock-killing drive where they punted the ball a second time. In the remaining seven drives, they scored six touchdowns and a field goal. <laughs> you, can't, you can't do that. I don't care how good you are on offense. I don't care what Rodgers does on offense. You can't win games when you allow that much scoring on the other side. So what do you think? Do you think that that Green Bay's defense is really that bad? Uh, you think it's some combination of them playing against a Red Hat Falcons offense? Do you think they can actually sustain this going into next year? I mean, what, what do you think is the problem here with the Green Bay Packers defense? Okay, Ryan, I think you might be on mute. <laughs> yeah, I am. Sorry about that. Um, yeah, <laughs> that was, know, I'll just pretend it had excellent analysis, everybody. That was excellent analysis. You sorry you didn't hear it. <laughs> um, no, I would say, uh, you know, the the problem is that I would say the Packers have maybe, maybe two, you know, 
total good players on that defense, and that's really um, me giving one guy a good and two guys a half good. Um, you know, I obviously would take Clay Matthews on my team, um, but right. you know, then I'd give you know Micah Hyde is an okay player, and you know Peppers right. is a good player, but well past his prime at this point. He's been playing almost my entire life. Um, so when, when that makes up, you know, pretty much the entire studs on your defense, and, and you got Gunter matched up on on Julio Jones, that's oh, not that's man, not a recipe for, for 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 a good day. Um, and you know, so I, I think the Packers said. Had now some of the deficiency on their defense, but they've been, you know, since Tremont Williams and, and really Charles Woodson, they really haven't had a good play in the secondary. So I, I, I don't know if they just if, if, they, if they need to re, revamp their scouting, you know, and, and find some guys in the draft, um, right? You know, better going forward. But you know, I would say overall, um, this defense is a mess, and you know, Clay Matthews is only going to get older, so they don't have they don't have you know if they want him in the picture as part of a key part of this defense going forward. They don't have, um, you know, forever to kind of revamp and rebuild. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And and as a, another kind of putting the nail in the coffin here, the Packers, when I tweeted this out uh, after the game, they trailed by an average of only 10 minutes per game throughout the regular season. On the NFC Conference Championship game, they trailed for over 53 minutes, basically just from the get-go. Um, you know, it's, it just kind of goes to show you can't just be an offensive team and win enough games in the postseason consistently. Uh, and that was uh, really on full-on effect by the Green Bay Packers. But let me turn to the other side for a second. I mean, let's give some credit to the Falcons. I mean, they were firing on all cylinders. I mean, Matt Ryan put up 392 yards, four passing touchdowns, run rushing touchdowns, zero interceptions, only the fourth time in history in a conference championship game that a quarterback put up four passing touchdowns and a rushing touchdown. Now, Matt Ryan has now thrown... 18 touchdowns and zero interceptions in his last six games. He has a passer rating this past weekend of 139.9, which is just blow the doors off, which, by the way, is only his fifth highest passer rating of the season. So he's actually performed better than this four times uh, during the season. Now, and now on the other side of the, on the, other side of the, the, uh, the attack, the offensive attack, both running backs, Devontae Freeman and Tevin Coleman, managed to chip in a touchdown apiece, just like they did in the divisional playoff game. And Julio Jones, oh my goodness, even with three different foot injuries, played his second most productive NFC Championship game of his career with nine receptions and 180 yards and two touchdowns. He actually had 182 yards and two touchdowns in his last NFC Conference Championship game, which they lost. So, wow, you know. We shouldn't forget also the free agent signing of Mohamed Sanu, who was, was really significant in what he did. And the Falcons have now scored at least 28 points in 11 of his last 12 games. I mean, what do you think? I mean, this, this seems legit to me. I, I think that this offense, you know, I know that there's a lot of talk about whether this is a better offense altogether as a whole than Bill Belichick's offense or not. But, I mean, you got to say that this offense has got to be one of the most threatening offenses in the NFL uh, and probably the most threatening NF, uh, offense on the NFC side by far. Don't you think? Yeah, I think they're. I mean, I think they're hands down. Um, it's not uh, protected numbers. I think hands down they're the best offense in um, in the NFL this year. Um, they haven't had an easy schedule. They did go. To, you know, they did have to go win a big game in Oakland early in the year. Um, they almost right. beat Seattle in Seattle earlier this year. They won in Denver. Um, you know, against one of the best defenses of our lifetime. So they um, they're they're definitely you know battle tested in that sense a little bit. Um, I think the run they're on right now is a little bit, a uh, little bit uh, padded. Um, 
I think the two toughest matchups they could have played played in the playoffs were either the Cowboys um, or even uh, the Giants. You know what I thought about that defense mm-hmm. this year. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, So I think that they they were they were lucky to to miss both of those and. Um, you know, they, they, they did get a bad Packers defense this week. And the week before, they had an Earl Tom, uh, Earl, Earl, an Earl Thomas-less defense and a Richard Sherman on one leg defense. Um, right. I think that really did help them get to this point um, where they've looked so good in the postseason. But with that said, um, you know, my knock on Matt Ryan has always been, you know, the game I always come back to is that, D.C. goes 8-0. Uh, they win in Virginia Tech, and they're the number two ranked team in the country, and he comes out and throws three interceptions to Florida State, um, a team who finished 7-6 and six that year, um, and only threw two touchdowns in that game, and all of a sudden D.C. fell to 8-1, and one, and they ended up losing um, two more games and finishing that year 9-3 and three, um, when they actually right. were ranked in the top five in the nation. So, um, you know, that those kind of performances have always come against bad teams, and that's why it's always been such a choke on his part is, you know, if you go out and lose to a good team, people can understand that when you, when you underperform against bad defenses. So um, the fact that he hasn't done that, you can't you can't take away from it um, what, what he's done over this, you know, these last six games here. Um, and, you know, I think that they're absolutely, you know, hands down the, the most talented and deep offense, um, especially with the Patriots not having Gronkowski right now. Right, yeah, and I'll tell, tell this quick story. I actually saw Matt Ryan play for Boston College at Boston College against Notre Dame. That was a horrible game for us Notre Dame fans. He actually managed to beat them 17-0, to zero, and it was raining the whole freaking time, and I was being heckled by everybody in the Boston College side the entire game. So I have very bad memories about Matt Ryan. Uh, so I'm no fan of his personally, but he has been on a roll recently in NFL, and I cannot overlook the fact that the Falcons are looking really, really solid going into the Super Bowl. So let's turn to the other side of the equation, the AFC. Now, on the AFC side, we had the Pittsburgh Steelers at the New England Patriots. And, boy, this was a game that I thought was going to be closer than it really was. The Patriots managed to manhandle the Steelers 36-17, to although, really, there was a turning point in the game at the half, right before halftime. The over-under on this was 51 uh, the total, uh, it's over, it hit at over at 53. Patriots were favored by six. They easily covered the spread. Now, the Patriots, like as I said, were in control for most of this one. And I mentioned a turning point. I really think the turning point of this game was actually the Patriots' goal line stand at the end of the first half, where Jesse James' touchdown was overturned because he was on the one-foot line. And they had a first and goal from the one-foot line right before the half. And the Patriots held on for two ill-conceived run plays, really poorly planned run plays, but great defensive calls on the Patriots' side and one Ill, uh, ill-conceived pass play. It forced a field goal, leaving it 17-9 to at the half. Now, you're thinking that if the Steelers had hit that earlier extra point and converted on this first and goal to a touchdown right for the half, that might have been a very different feel going into the half, although I don't think it would have changed the ultimate outcome of the game. So what do you think about your Pats' performance against the Steelers at home and how the Steelers performed. Yeah, I think, um, you know, I, there's a couple things I'll raffle through here. Um, I, I was definitely surprised. You know, I think I think I predicted at 27-24 on our podcast last week. I, you know, I was not overly confident right. going into this game. Um, you know, on, on that turning point you brought up, um, you know, a couple, a couple key takeaways I had around that was first the play of Deron Harmon. Um, it kind of overshadowed because of how great – the, the, the stop was after that, but um, I think Jesse James gets in 
if Daron Harmon doesn't finish off that play and the right. Packers are, are one of the best tackling defenses in football. Daron Harmon comes in and hits Jesse James almost in the back of the head, on the, on the back of the shoulders, the way he was kind of curled up and stopped the last little bit of momentum Jesse James has and ends up platting him at the half-yard line. Um, right. As far as the game plan, I think you just mentioned it, that those are two great uh, defensive calls on the first two run plays. Um, the reason why I think it was, uh, or why why they were great run plays, is because you could see early in that game, and the broadcast didn't point it out enough to, to my liking. Um, you know, I've heard a lot of revisionist history the last couple of days um, about – well, you know, great win by the Patriots, but what had happened if Livian Bell had been in there? Well, when he was in there, he was six rushes for 20 yards. So he was averaging um, about 3.3 yards per carry. Um, and if you go back and watch it, what you'll see is uh, Hightower and Alandon Roberts and even, um, you know, Van Noy and uh, McClellan when they were in there in sub-packages. Um, you hear so much about Le'Veon Bell's um, great patience running. And what you're seeing is that the, the Pats defensive line was two-gapping and holding up the offensive line, and the linebackers were just shifting side to side, ro- rotating with Le'Veon Bell, forcing him to make the decision what hole he was cutting into first. The mistake you see a lot against him is that guys shoot up trying to get, you know, plug holes and be aggressive, and he just waits for something to open up. What the Patriots are doing was not allowing anything to open up, making him choose a hole and then convert, uh, converging on that hole. Um, so I thought they had a great game plan to stop Le'Veon, and they were doing it early. So it was actually almost a disservice. Um, the first couple of touches for uh, D'Angelo Williams, he was actually gashing the Patriots, and I think it's because the Patriots had a whole other game plan for a completely different type of runner. So when he came Absolutely. in with his more aggressive, you know, head right. of steam style, um, it was it was hurting them. And so the first time you actually saw the Patriots attack when D'Angelo Williams was running the ball was on that goal line stand. And on both plays, they had somebody shoot a gap, get in the backfield, and make a hit. Um, so that was a huge turning point, obviously. The third down call was awful. The underrated part of it um, was, I think it was Jesse James on a crosser, but he was inside the five-yard right. line. or inside the five yards, obviously, because they were coming from the four. And Dante, uh, Dante Hightower stepped up and just dropped Jesse James on his back. Um, and I think that was Roethlisberger's main read. The guys on the outside were covered, so he flipped it out to Eli Rogers incomplete. So, obviously, right. that was a huge moment. Um you know, we've said it all year. The Pats have had a weak schedule, um, the weakest in the NFL in six seasons. Um, they haven't faced a real quarterback. And regardless of his home and away splits, which he finished this year with 10, 10 touchdowns and nine interceptions on the road, um, so obviously not great stats. Um, but regardless, that was probably the best quarterback they've faced this year, and the Patriots, again, elevated. And for all intents and purposes, they held them to nine points. Um, you know, I know that, that yep. they're, you know, a garbage-time touchdown you know, with, with four minutes left to um, is not what I'm going to count against that defense. So they, they played an unbelievable game. The you know the depth of weapons on the offense really shone through. Um, but I think the biggest issue here, and it's the thing that I said last week, what I thought would be the saving grace of the Patriots, and it was, and it can, you know it really blew up in Pittsburgh's faces. They're just they're one of these dumb teams that they just do what they do and they do it no matter what the game is. Um, and so they came out and they ran. They they tried to pressure from the outside. Um, they tried, they, they played all, you know, mainly zone coverages. Um, and, and they tried to, and they tried to blitz out of zone packages, um, which is all a recipe for disaster. And the Pittsburgh Steelers should know that because they're now, uh, you know, against Brady in their career, they're uh, in his career, the, the Steelers are two and 10. Um, so you would think they've seen this movie before. Um, right. and I actually won't even take credit for this, but I had forgotten about this. Uh, I believe it was in 2011. They were talking about this today on the sports hub here in Boston, the, the Felger and Maz show. 
um, reference that in 2011 was actually the game that where Dick LeBeau in the regular season decided to finally play man coverage against Brady. Um, and they actually won that game um, against the Patriots as one of the one of the two times they've ever beat them. Um, and they, I think the score was 24 to 19 in that game, so they actually shut down Brady three decent. Um, but apparently Tomlin threw out that game film and came back in and ran zone coverages again and uh, let, let yep. Brady sit back there and carve him up. And by the time they tried to switch to man coverage later in the game, Brady was in such a rhythm um, that it didn't even matter, and they were just, he was still just hitting everybody um, and, and just you know really gouging that defense. Yeah, so Brady was uh, so it was interesting because there were a couple plays in there in which I felt like Brady was standing back there for like minutes at a time. That was a ridiculous amount of protection that was dialed up. And when you give Brady that much time against a zone coverage scheme, he's gonna find the open guy. It's just it's just gonna happen. I mean, it's it's like it's a it's a fait accompli. You cannot let that happen. Now they did manage to hit uh, hit him a couple times, but not really that much. Not enough to really speed up his progression at all, and not enough to really impact the game. Now on the other side, the Steelers entered the game allowing the second lowest percentage of sacks for dropback in NFL. And true to form, they did keep Big Ben upright the entire game. They allowed no sacks and just one QB hit. But uh, and so you know that's some credit to that offensive line, but away Ben showed up and we talked about how bad Ben is on the road and although he piled up 314 yards a touchdown and an INT as you said you know that TD was garbage time uh, the game was already decided and about 25% of those yards was garbage time when the game was already decided you know what do you think is the problem with Ben I mean can he why can't he play on the road is there a real can you tell what the problem is or do you think this was actually part of being at the Gillette Stadium or, or what is it yeah, I think I think he's, you know, I think he's older, and I think he might be past his prime. Um, you know, I think people are getting a little bit too used to what Manning did, um, what Brady's done, and they're starting to think that this is the trend um, that quarterbacks can play into this age. But I think you've seen a you know kind of a steep drop off with Roethlisberger, as you as you know, kind of the same you've seen with Eli Manning the last couple years here. Um, you know, it, it's not. It, this wasn't a one-game isolated incident. This wasn't a one-year incident. I mean, me and you talked. We talked about the to, to, to nauseum. Right. Um, this goes yep. back to all the way through last season. It's two straight years. Oh, yeah. He's not a good road quarterback. Um, so you can say, you know, if it's this year, you could say, well, he's only got Eli Rogers as a second weapon, and what we he had Wheaton and Martavis Bryant last year, um, and you know, and right. he does have Le'Veon Bell, and and he and he does have Antonio Brown, um, but he's just he's not he's not the same guy on the road. Um, I think he is, you know, he was never mobile, like get out of the super, get out of the pocket. But even those big plays that, you, that we always knew him for, where guys are hanging off him and he's spinning out of plays yeah, and still making he's a big plays. Guy. Those don't, right? Yeah, those, but those those plays seem few and far between now. Um, you know, I think I, I saw some signs this year of a more docile guy. Um, I thought it was kind of telling that he asked for Brady's. You know, now looking back at it, he asked for Brady's. Um, his jersey for his office uh, early in the season. We heard that on mic'd up. Um, yeah, you know, it was right. the, the conversation he had with him was almost uh, of a guy looking back on something, um, and that almost seemed like a finite moment. Like I might not get this chance again. Can I get your jersey after the game? Um, and then right. the reports today that he's coming out saying yeah. he might be considering retiring. And there's a lot of people the out there. Show. I've heard on, on on sports shows tonight saying that it's typical dr- uh, dramatic Ben. Um, you know, when he plays up injuries and then goes out there and plays anyways, and they think that that's what this is. But I think I think this might be a guy who truly is looking at it 
uh, and seeing kind of the end of the road and seeing some of his skills decline. Um, the way he plays, he takes a lot of shots, and I'm sure that's taken a wear and tear on his body over the years. And, and I think that I think it's well within the possibility that uh, Sunday might have been his last game of his career. Yeah, I mean, I'd be surprised if he if it's his last game. He has some guaranteed money left on his contract, and I know that's not the number one thing you're thinking of as a football player, but it is pretty important. And and they still have a good supporting cast for him, so he might want to give it one more run. But I agree. I, I think he's on his way down. I mean, he's going to be 35. He's definitely in the, uh, in the twilight of his career. But let me turn to the other side of this, because there's the older quarterback on the other side of this ball, Brady, locked in, totally locked in on, of course, Chris Hogan, of all people. Total 384 yards, three touchdowns, no INTs. Hogan has a career-best nine receptions for 180 yards and two touchdowns. Wow. Uh, Chris Hogan, is he for real? Yeah, I like his skill set, and he's got, he has the highest uh, YPC um, amongst receivers this year. Um, he's, been a, he's been a great threat, but I think at the end of the day, um, you know, it's, it's kind of the story it always has been is that, you know, a lot of these guys aren't great players, but they elevate when they're, when they're with Tom Brady. And well, what he's always, you know, lacked in patience and lacked in ability to bring along young receivers or have any patience with a guy who doesn't get the playbook. If you come in and you're a smart football player and you get the playbook, um, you know, Brady takes guys that weren't exactly huge successes other places and um, turns them into, into marquee, super important guys. Um, and I think that's right. what he's done with Hogan. And, you know, and he has – Hogan has uh, about, I think it's 270 um, receiving yards in the postseason now with the two touchdowns. And, um, yeah, amazing. And, uh, you know, uh, double-digit reception. So, you know, the first game I think it was four receptions for 95 yards, and then this one was the, the nine receptions for 180 yards. So – um, you know, it's, it was not a one game or a one off game situation. He's been he's been great all season, and he's had two really big yep. games here uh, in the postseason. Yeah, I'm going to give Belichick some more credit here because I think that he actually had in mind how he was going to use Chris Hogan when they went out to get him. It wasn't kind of like let's get him and figure out how to fit him into our offense. He had in mind that you know he's a slot receiver type, but he has a lot of speed. We can beat them downfield with him. We can use him over the middle. There's a lot of things that he can do to open up this offense, and they use him exactly that way. And I, I, I you know, hats off to finding a guy like that, uh, managed to get, uh, get him away from the Bills. So before we, uh, and I will also mention one other thing. I'm, I'm also I'm always amazed at how they manage their uh, backfield between Legarrette Blunt, Deion, uh, Deion Lewis, and James White. Uh, Deion Lewis was the hero last week, and this week he ends up taking the third least uh, snaps. I mean, uh, the, he was at the least snaps of the three of them. Uh, that's pretty impressive that they can just reinvent their ground game from game to game. So I, I do want to preview very, very quickly the Super Bowl because there are a lot of things going on there, and we're going to talk about it more in our in our podcast next week. But let me ring the bell. And let's go ahead and very quickly talk about Super Bowl 51, which is going to be Sunday, February 5th at 6.30 p.m., Eastern time on Fox. Current over under is at 59. It's up from 56 and a half, which means people are in Vegas are betting the over a lot. And the Patriots are currently favored by three. Uh, that's moving up from a pick'em where it opened at a pick'em. So people are picking the Patriots in, in great numbers. So let me ask you this question about the uh, about this, this upcoming game. And then we're gonna preview this in detail coming up. What do you think about Falcons general manager Thomas Dimitrov? and his connection to the Patriots. Because Bill Belichick did hire him in 2002 as the Patriots national scout. He's now the GM uh, at Atlanta. 
Do you think that his work is, uh, is part of what he learned in the Patriots area? Do you think it gives him any edge at all in dealing with the Patriots in the Super Bowl? Um, I, I don't, I don't know. You know, I think I'm sure he, you know, being in this organization, he learned some things. Um, but you know, there's other things. Um, he's definitely made his own mark. I mean, he's the same guy who called uh, Belichick to ask about Julio Jones years, Julio Jones years right. ago. Um, and I'm yep. pretty sure it was Doug Baldwin um, that uh, that Belichick equated to Julio. And well, uh, Baldwin's had a nice career um, and actually turned out much better than I think most of us thought. Um, he's not Julio Jones, so. Uh, Dimitrov himself, we picked his own, you know, style and done his own, uh, kind of made his own name for himself. Um, with that said, he's a personnel guy. Um, it's not the same as having coaches, and even coaches typically, um, you know, the, the league is the league. Pretty much everybody knows everybody. So, um, you know, for what for what you can say, there might be an advantage there. I think the bigger advantage is that the Patriots um, played Quinn's defense against Seattle uh, yep. in the Super Bowl two years yep. ago, and with way more talent on that defense. The Patriots still put up 28 points, um, and it's a zone defense. And if you don't have the talent like Seattle did with the zone defense, um, you know they can just call Pittsburgh and ask what they should expect to see with Brady out there. <laughs> right, right. Okay. Well, that's all the time we have for our sneak peek because I definitely want to save all this for the, for next week. Next week, Super Bowl prop bets. We're going to run through those. That's going to be fun. We're going to have a game preview breakdown of Super Bowl 51. We'll have injury updates, and we'll have our predictions and much more. So until next week, Ryan, give them your Twitter account so they can follow you. Yeah, it's uh, at Ryan Whitfield NE, and I just wanted to let you know that you did finish with one game left, uh, 10, 10 picks behind me in the Pick'em this year. <laughs> Look at that, 30 seconds left, and he still manages to get a jab in. Thanks a lot, Ryan. All right, you can follow me <laughs> at FB Garbage Time. Until next week, enjoy the Pro Bowl. <laughs> we'll be back next week to talk about the Super Bowl, a much more important bowl. Enjoy your, your football week. 